Yes, and Rix is here as well. Allow me to tell you all that's happened since the last time I reported. Not all of it is exactly grand, but most of it is actually pretty fun. The problem with angelics, as all other detachable wings, is that they are an individual experience. I'd been foolish in thinking I could get us both out of there. But through some failed test runs, We've concluded that they are not meant for two people. This meant that Edgar and I had to walk all the way back to the workers' district. An area that Edgar obviously knew very little about. He's good looking and all, but with all the surprises he'd given me lately, I'd simply started to assume he knew his way around damn near everything. And then he didn't. Who knew? The walk back was no different than the area surrounding Trough Towers, only it was slightly darker without the golden glow of the Titan behind us. We left in silence and did not look back. We watched as torn bodies passed us, some of the eyes staring at us as though they blamed us for living. I don't think I will ever forget those eyes. I worry about seeing them in my dreams. I know I will see them in my memories and my mind always, but... Anyways, it was dark. Night had barely fallen when the enforcement automatons attacked, and now they stooped over themselves, resting in eternal rest. The rain had washed away some of the blood, but the street seemed to be permanently dyed red. I worried about Riggs, but I knew losing my cat was nothing compared to what Edgar had lost on this day. I don't know what it's like to have two parents, and I don't think it matters that I don't. I still had a family. I had a grandfather who loved me dearly and raised me to learn everything I know about engineering. Even the slightest of tinkering is still a skill of mine thanks to him. Family can mean so many different things to people. I realize now that I think about it. It's not a real thought to anyone until they've lost their family. You could have one mother, or two fathers, or even just a distant relative. Family does not even have to be blood. It does not even have to be human. The only thing needed to create a family is love. And I know that between my grandfather and Rick's, I had so much love in my life. And I'm sure that for Edgar, it was the same way with his parents. He lost them both. The two people that raised him, me and Edgar are very different. But what I will say is that loss is a feeling we can all comprehend on some level once we felt it. I only had my grandfather. When he died, I felt I had no one, and I'm certain that's how Edgar felt in that moment. He was silent as I led us down the horrifying scene. His head was often left hanging between his shoulders, but every once in a while he'd look up at the sky as if wondering, why? Perhaps he was looking up in blame at the gods for letting him live. I couldn't tell. 
and it's not smart to place any ill will on the old gods. So I grabbed his hand. He stared at me with ghost-like eyes, and I told him that the only way to honor his parents was to survive. He only nodded slowly. When you see so many bodies surrounding you, when you see young men, elderly women, small children, and beautiful individuals of no specific sex, you cry. You cry a lot. And you want to place blame on someone. And I did. I still do. I blame the aristocrats whom turned against their business partners. Grand Ivor Glen was never a good city, but anything was better than this. There was no need for this. When we made it to the 65th floor of my unit after pushing past the bodies of unfortunates, Bricks greeted me at the door with a purr. As I suspected, the enforcement automatons only wanted humans. It was actually a wonder to me something Mr. Locklove said before he killed Mr. Cadwell in regards to Edgar's supposed death. He claimed that no life was detected in the area and that they'd been successful in their slaughter. I've thought about this factor and I have to wonder what it was that left us undetected. The enforcement automatons had forced their way into every home in Grand Ivor Glen. There were no survivors, at least not in the city. There were still people inhabiting Flora, but they're the nomads of this planet and I highly doubt they'll see what's happened to the city anytime soon. But either way, if you could have seen the gore that I did, you'd know. There is no one else in Grand Ivor Glen, save Edgar and I. Edgar told me my home was lovely. A mess, but lovely. He's good looking and all, but I wouldn't assume him the type to like homes like this. He sat down in my engineering room, which doubled as a living room, and I made tea. It was cold outside. I sat in front of him on the floor and told Edgar what we would do next. We needed to find out how to communicate to an airship to take us off Flora. The closest settlement to Flora is, of course, Cecilia. Edgar nodded in agreement. He told me that in order to do that, we would need to turn the power grid back on. But it's not that simple. Yes, it is literally just flipping a switch. However, if we turn the power grid back on, we risk being discovered by the aristocrats. If they're still nearby, that is. According to Edgar, Trough Towers did not only have connections or rulings over Flora, but other settlements as well. This includes, he added, both settlements over Cecilia and Sphinx. This cleared my confusion from earlier. I'd never known that Trough Towers was that influential nor that wealthy. But there's more to it than just that. This runs deeper than even he understands. Trough Towers is a place filled to the brim with secrets, he warned me. The point is, we need to turn on the power grid if we intend to get off Flora. The only other option we have is to find the other nomads and tell them what happened to Grand Ivor Glen. And I can tell you now, that is not a good idea. The nomads are suspicious, much like my grandfather was. I wouldn't be surprised if they celebrated and told us to scram. Besides, no nomad has a way off Flora. If they did, I would have left years ago.
So this is our one and only plan and hope. In the meantime, Edgar told me we needed to find a more suitable place to stay the night. I took offense and asked, what is wrong with my home? And he said, no. He didn't mean it that way, but rather that the inner city was much safer way to go. I hadn't thought about it. But because the workers' district is on the outer rim of the city, once the wildlife of Flora smells the death and rot, it'll start attracting some pretty dangerous creatures. My unit isn't that far out, but I've heard people having to fight off seven-headed jaguars and finding two-tailed cobras in their boots. Or even worse, screaming clams clogging every drain in their home. Screaming clams grow near any body of water if they're not sprayed for regularly. And trust me, you'll know if you find them. Edgar suggested his home since it was in the inner city and we'd be able to reach the power grid switch faster. I agreed that it did seem more suitable, but it was already late in the night. I wouldn't be surprised if some of Flora's native creatures had already made their way into countless buildings. And in the darkness of night, I worried that this may not be the best course of action. Edgar thought for a moment and glanced nervously at Angelix. He asked me if I had another pair of wings, and I told him that I only had a failed prototype. When asked why it failed, I actually couldn't remember. So Edgar asked if he could use them. When I pulled them out from the closet, I was actually surprised. They look great. I had no idea why I deemed them a failed experiment. I told Edgar they were probably fine and he agreed to use them so we could fly to his home. His palms were sweaty and he seemed ill when I handed them over. I asked what was wrong and he told me he was afraid of heights. I stopped and stared at him for a moment in confusion. I asked him, Your family works in Trove Towers, a company that literally works in some of the largest buildings ever conceived, and you're afraid of heights. He hung his head and said nothing. He's good looking and all, but I didn't think he would be the type to play an ironic character. I packed very little, I already had very little, but now I had less. I took whatever money I could find, I took whatever tools and kits Angelics might need, I'll have to buy some supplies once I've settled elsewhere. But in the meantime, I just took what was needed, and I took a very old photograph in a gold frame. It was a picture of me and my grandfather and Rix's mom. She was a very pretty two-headed leopard. She was a great pet. I see a lot of her in Rix, especially with that biting habit. But at the very least, he's still small enough to fit in his flight pouch and is a very good travel buddy. We took to the skies as soon as I was ready, Edgar looking not at all confident and I looking back at my small cubby in slight sadness. I liked living there when I did. It did not have the same feeling that my grandfather's home did. It did not have that safe family feel. It had only been me and Rick's. And yet there was still a feeling of accomplishment that I had gone into living in that small home. It had still been mine for some time and to leave it was somewhat painful. But now those days are over. Flying through the skies is something every person should experience at least once in their life. 
That was why I built Angelics in the first place. I wanted to be responsible for giving people that freedom. The freedom of air rushing past you as you soar through the nothingness of night. Seeing the moon's reflection in the glass of the now abandoned buildings. Seeing the void of space above you. Seeing billions of stars flare so clearly now that no lights shined. Despite what had happened, despite Rick's being strapped to my body, despite carrying my only possessions in my very hands, the feeling of that flight was poetic in the strangest of ways. Flying soothed me and made me feel that everything would be okay. But there are two kinds of people. People like me, and people like Edgar, who tried his best to fly, but seemed nervous, and also seemed to be experiencing some serious turbulence. When I asked him if he was okay, he looked over at me, his face pale as though he were about to lose his lunch, and said, Yup. We neared the inner city at a swift pace, and I followed Edgar's shaky form through the darkness until I saw a rather large mansion below us. That was when I remembered, um, why Edgar's wings were deemed a failed prototype. They didn't exactly have, um, a landing function. To explain it briefly, once enough speed and momentum has been put into initial takeoff, the wings don't allow the little bird wearing them to land gracefully. <laughs> and Edgar did not by any means. Oh, but he's fine. A few bruises, but nothing too serious. At least, I don't think. <laughs> um, but his home. Oh, it's really rather is too darling. I think everything here is made of marble. It has to be. It's way too clean. And it seems like even the drapes are made out of redstone. It's a cliche of a home. Edgar is handsome and all. So yes, I would expect him to live in a home like this. When I entered the house, I thought I was going to faint. I've never been inside an aristocrat's home. It was a strange experience to say the least. Regardless, that's where I am at this very moment. Yes, that's really it. I'm staying in the guest bedroom while Edgar is in his room, sulking over his loss. I don't blame him. None of this has been easy. I wish I knew what to do to help him, but... Anyways, for now, This episode of Bosch and Brave was written and produced by Ashley Glenn, voiced by Clover Grayson, and brought to you by Blackmore Productions. Like what we do here? Follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Want to tell us how great we are? Send us a message at blackmoreproductions at gmail.com. Also, big news, we have a website. Go to blackmoreproductions.com to get the latest updates on your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next month, Angelic's Pilots. Blackmore Productions. Swim against the current.